This content is for institutional investors and information purposes only. It does not contain investment, financial, legal tax or any other advice and should not be relied upon for this purpose. The materials are not tailored to your particular, personal and or financial position. If you require advice based on your specific circumstances, you should contact a professional advisor. Opinions expressed are those of the speakers as of the date of publication, are subject to change without notice and do not necessarily reflect Mercer's opinions. Um, and welcome to Critical Thinking, Critical Issues. I'm Joe Holden, Global Head of Investment Research and Advisory at Mercer. And joining me today is Rupert Watson, Head of Asset Allocation, and David Scopoletti, who is our head of uh, Global Head of Private Debt. So guys, let's get started. Now, we're going to talk about SVB, um, Silicon Valley Bank. And if you Google SVB collapse, you get 318 million results. So your first challenge today, Rupert, David, should you choose to accept it, is to distill all of that into something a lot more straightforward and hopefully more insightful, obviously. So a quick overview to start. Um, SVB was a US-based bank catering, very broadly speaking, to the tech sector. We've had a slowdown in tech. Customers needed or wanted to get their money on deposit back. The problem is that SVB had invested those deposits in bonds, which have obviously fallen in value due to interest rates rising. So there's a mismatch there with sort of their their assets and their liabilities. And they faced a cash crunch. They tried to raise money that spooked customers and the market, and therein starts the sort of downward spiral. David, why don't you pick it up from there? I mean, what happened next? And and I guess have the actions that have been taken to stabilise the situation worked? And maybe have you been surprised by the speed that regulators and governments acted? Uh, Thanks, Joe. And it's good to be with everyone today. I I don't think it's a surprise at the speed at which regulators uh, act uh, acted. I mean, I I think if you think about it, they had enough investment uh, and pattern recognition, if you will, from the great financial crisis uh, that rolled through uh, their decision making um, uh, over the weekend. Uh, And certainly, you know, in in addition to both uh, SVB, you had Signature Bank, uh, which had issues. And also, uh, little known, but Silvergate Bank, so the three S's, um, three banks with the, who started with an S uh, had failed uh, the prior week, uh, who, were, who was involved in cryptocurrency, which again, you know, very, very, um, very tied to valuations and, and so forth. Uh, but I think on the on the SVB uh, standpoint, I know Rupert will speak to this uh, in some more detail. But I think you know the three big things investors and 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 uh, clients should think about is there was a lack of diversification, a lack of liquidity, and, and frankly, there was some human psychology that that came into play here. I, I liken the run on the bank to um, the toilet paper crisis that we had at the beginning of COVID. Uh, and I really mean that. It it really that same well, human. It's not as terrorist as that, David. But but carry on. Yes, but it, it, that 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 type of psychology uh, took hold here, and with the uh, obviously with social media and how tight uh, the venture capital community is, it really fed upon uh, itself. 
Social media points, interesting actually, David, because you think back to the sort of the global financial crisis. I mean, obviously we had social media at that point, but it really wasn't quite the thing that it is today. Were you worried about that? Because I mean, we have been talking to clients about you know contagion and the risk of, and whether or not actions that have been taken will will sort of stem that contagion. But like, there's no controlling social media. Is that is that a worry? I certainly do. Uh, and I'll give you a, a great example. I got I received a call from my father-in-law over the weekend who was worried about his deposits um, at two or three of the financial institutions where he he is, uh, which clearly were not impacted um, by what, what's going on. But, you know, it's that that news cycle, uh, whether it's it's over cable news, whether it's over social media, all of this, um, you know, sort of feeds into, I think, the, the human psychology. Um, and I think it's it's it, depending on where you're getting your news and your level of sophistication. Um, it is hard sometimes to distill all the various things that, that, that are going on because everybody has an opinion. Right. So I guess, let Rupert, if I maybe just turn it over to you, social media is something that is quite different relative to the financial crisis sort of many, well, several years ago now. The other thing that's sort of different about today's situation is the fact that rates have, have started to rise. How much of an impact has that had? I mean, we talked very specifically about SVB and sort of the, the where their investments were, but we've also had a lot of commentary about the fact that rising rates might start to expose cracks in the banking sector overall. Do you buy that? How, how are you kind of feeling or, or sort of assessing that 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 situation? Well, before I answer that particular question, just on the social media type of stuff, yeah. is that you know, SVP took a spectacularly large duration buffer. Uh, you oversee or sit on one of the committees I'm involved in, uh, Joe, and if I was ever taking that amount of duration risk, uh, you would have a, uh, have a word. They took a huge amount of risk and rates turned. So yeah. SVP going bust wasn't because of social media whispers. It was it, it got itself into an appalling financial situation. In terms of looking forward, the purpose of raising rates by the Fed and ECB and others is to make it more difficult for certain entities. And the things that are going to be most hit by it are those that are uh, uh, naturally most levered to interest rates and the cost of borrowing, like housing, and anyone who's overextended. And so that uh, banks or any other organization are running into trouble is not a huge surprise, I would say, to anyone. Nobody really knows at what level it's going to happen. Um, but strains in the system, I think, were always inevitable. And as I, we look out over the next several years, I think interest rates are going to be staying higher than normal for the next several years. And because of that, there may be further issues in any sector, industry, business um, that has really profited from zero interest rates. Um, I'm not saying it's difficult to exactly pinpoint where they will be, and I'm not saying they'll bring the system down, but if you raise interest rates intentionally to slow growth, intentionally to inhibit activity, you're going to create losers. And so that's what we're seeing, we're seeing as part of that now. Okay, let's just turn over and spend a few minutes thinking about what this actually means for our clients and asset owners. So David, look, our teams, your team in particular, have been working really hard to help clients understand their exposures over the last few days. Could you maybe give an overview of what those exposures look like, but more to the point, what it actually might mean for our clients? 
Um, you know, we, as we were talking about uh, this uh, just a few minutes ago uh, prior to the call, I mean, there are a series of known unknowns. And, um, you know, certainly the the venture capital uh, community and industry uh, provides, you know, whether it's most people think of it as tech. Uh, but in reality, um, you know, the, the capital that comes through the venture capital system goes to life sciences, uh, goes to cybersecurity. It, it, it actually um, uh, pretty ubiquitous as it relates to uh, the, the global economy. And I, 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 I don't think um, that, you know, people sort of have that uh, perception of where where the venture capital companies and how important they are to, um, you know, daily, daily functioning. And I think during covid you saw a number of tech companies able to respond uh, to help through, the, uh, you know, through the crisis. So, you know, I think the, the one concern I'd have is certainly in the short term and intermediate term, and, and Rupert alluded to this, is um, you will have asset repricing with the venture capital uh, companies, uh, their access to capital, and not certainly the deposits at Silicon Valley Bank, but more broadly now, um, you know, so certain, certainly for a period of time, the venture capital community is probably going to slow down um, raising money. Um, and certainly those are, that are in a cash burn situation will probably slow their cash burn, uh, recognizing that their funders might have their own issues. So there'll, there'll certainly be a, um, you know, a ripple effect um, uh, in the market. Um, and certainly in, throughout the economy. Do I think we'll get through it? We, we went through the great financial crisis. We went through the tech bubble. Um, I do think we'll get through it. And um, and and hopefully there'll be you know some more lessons learned, whether it's at the, the banking level or certainly within the venture capital community in terms of thinking how to handle this uh, going forward. Right. So Rupert, um, you might be the person at Mercer who's probably read the most commentary or been sent the most commentary on this over the last few days. What is your summary of the overall situation? And should investors be concerned that this is the start of something broader? And I guess, you know, very live situation with Credit Suisse, for example, at the moment. Well, I don't think anyone can ignore what is going on. It's clearly what has happened is a significant development uh, in terms of uh, certainly financial markets. It's not yet clear how much, how significant it's going to be in terms of the global economy. Um, of course, there are some localized difficulties, but by and large, credit markets remain open, equity markets remain open, banks remain open. And from what we can tell, at least at the moment, uh, uh, things are operating, as I said, reasonably normally. Now, a persistence, if we had uh, the sort of tensions we have at the moment, if they continue for many months, if they get materially worse, then that would most definitely have implications for the global economy. But as things stand, overall financial conditions have tightened a bit. They haven't tightened dramatically. And what we've seen so far is reasonably is reasonably localized. Now, it is a very important point, and I think an exceptionally important point, um, that regulators, governments, central bankers around the world, for good or ill, and I'm not saying it's necessarily good, but are in bailout mode. And there's good reasons. Plenty of people would reasonably argue that SVB should have let go, should have been let go uh, to, you know, lessons for others. And I'm not commenting on that. Um, but regulators in the US, I don't think, I think they've now signaled that they won't let any bank go. Because as you'll be aware, all depositors in SVP have been insured and are made whole and can access their funds today. 
Um, and so I think uh, regulators in the US would bail out any bank that run, ran into trouble. The chance of Credit Suisse being let go uh, is exceptionally small, um, largely because if it did if it did collapse, that it would be pretty catastrophic. Um, so I think that uh, uh, banks will be kept whole, um, and therefore I th- it doesn't mean equity holders will do well, um, but banks will be will be kept whole. Um, which should support the financial system. I think one point being aware of for those following markets closely um, and wondering what's going to happen next is whether whether any other dominoes start to fall, which might be because of you know uh, side effects of SVB and so on, but might be for you know completely different reasons. And that if we had, I, I mean, I don't want to pull out shocks, but if we had a whole series of shocks, perhaps economic shocks, political shocks military shocks, weather shocks, whatever it might be, if a whole load of other stuff started happening, um, then then I'd start to get more worried. But in and of themselves, if we just have uh, SVP and regional banks and a few others under strain, Europe, some European banks under strain, uh, then I think it's I think it's manageable. And Ruben, maybe I'll jump in here too. And just on on that point, I mean, I, I think there is a conflict between central bankers' abilities to fight inflation and rising rates, and the balance, if you will, with the effects on the financial system. I mean, the, 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 those two things, you know, in in and it really sort of played out here, are at odds with each other. And I do think, um, and you know, certainly the the. The central bankers here in, in the U.S. over the weekend, and if you think about it, I mean, they're making decisions about the 16th largest bank over the course of a 48 or 72 hour period. Um, I think they're trying their best to think through how to the balance the fight against inflation with making sure the financial system is working in an orderly fashion, which is, by the way, one of their, their I think, one of their core mandates. So just that point on balance, I mean, if you think about asset owners, they need to balance having a broad understanding of the macro, but then actually, you know, having fiduciary responsibility over kind of the more granular micro decisions. How how would you be thinking about that if, if, if you were an investor? I mean, how do you start to pick out the important points on that macro? What are the things that you'd be thinking about sort of prioritizing? Well, Joe, I know you're 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 global head of research, and um, you've got a broad range of responsibilities. But my guess is, if someone said to you, Joe, a single word in terms of what you you know talk about, and that word would be diversification, and you could pretty much stop the conversation there. Um, I'm sorry, I'm not meaning to belittle your job, by the way. No, um, no, no, no. I, I think that's, I think that's fair diversification. But I think like increasingly governance, you mm. know, in, in the sense that I think I said on another podcast, a, a rival podcast, a few weeks ago, that it's sort of we talk a lot about the fact that diversification is the only free lunch in investing. Like, I'm not convinced it is. I think really good governance that means that you are forewarned, forearmed, and then you might not necessarily know exactly what you do in a crisis situation, but at least you've sort of thought about it. I think that is as important because it can add huge amounts of value or at least stop me sort of making knee-jerk decisions in situations like this. So, um, yeah, I don't disagree, but it would be two words. I think diversification okay. and governance. But... Yeah, when we look at look at SVB, I mean, it's, it's, it's depositors weren't diversified. It's deposit the depositors who invested, who deposited their money uh, into SVP, didn't deposit their money into ten banks. 
you know, across the financial system, they tended to be quite narrowly focused to to, to a single to a single one. Uh, and SVP itself invested in a pretty narrow narrow way. So I think diversification, um, and also I suppose a point that, that that I try to make, which is that the future is inherently unforecastable. So when I say that I think the situation is benign, I am not saying there is no chance of things getting worse. Um, Said by an economist. Uh, and the first rule of economic forecasting, of course, is is don't. Uh, the second rule of forecasting, by the way, is if you don't, uh, if you are forced to give a forecast, don't give a number. And the third, if you're forced to give a number, don't give a date. But I would just say that the the outlook is incredibly uncertain. It's always uncertain. And uh, there are all sorts of things we can't possibly forecast. So I'm not saying I'm saying the situation is benign at the moment. I'm not saying it couldn't get worse, um, although best guess is that it doesn't get worse. But because of all sorts of things can happen, you need to have robust portfolios. You need to have portfolios that can withstand, um, you know, what the most likely outcomes, but also is not too bad a shape. Uh, if nasty stuff happens to you. And nasty stuff and how bad is bad will differ from client to client. But it's just keeping an open mind about things, I would say, um, and be and be wedded. Now, David, I know your your focus is VC and all of that. What are the sort of the big lessons that, um, the sort of big high level of advice, if we're allowed to talk about that, um, that we sort of focus on? Well, you know, certainly we in alternatives, um, broadly speaking, whether it's private debt, private equity, venture capital, real estate, infrastructure, any of the private asset classes, um, the, these are typically uh, long, long-term commitments that asset owners and investors make. Um, and I think, you know, just putting on my credit hat, uh, I've been uh, I've been in the private credit business a very long time. I think you sort of touch on it. And, and Joe as well, it's not only diversification, uh, but as it relates to governance, it, it, it's about thinking about the downside and, and doing some models and thinking about what if this happens, what if that happens, what if the other thing happens? And I think we've had enough, enough events um, over the past 10 to 12 years where um, investors, asset owners, clients should be thinking about the what ifs, um, recognizing, as I said before, there are, and you said it as well, there are known unknowns. I mean, we cannot plan um, for everything. I mean, even COVID, I mean, you know, the, the various governments had, had plans uh, as to what would happen during a pandemic. Um, and once you get into those situations, um, they are typically very unique um, and, and, and so forth. But at least having some general planning, which gets to Joe's point about governance and, and having that integrated within your investment process, I think is absolutely critical because you, have, you do have to think about the downside. Everything doesn't always go up all the time. And I think I remember, you know, you know if you'd said to me back in 2019, what chance of a global pandemic? And we all get shut, you know, stuck at home for a while. I would have said absolutely no chance, no way that's going to happen. Um, and of course, of course, it did. And there are an awful lot of things that might happen, which are low probability events. But low probability events do very occasionally happen, uh, even though uh, you know, not necessarily that 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 often. And to your point about geopolitical, I, I do think there are enough. There's enough geopolitical tensions around the world. There's enough in the headlines. I won't get into it, but there's enough geopolitical issues that a small mistake by um, uh, you know, and maybe not a president of a of, of a country, but you know, certainly folks on the ground could create 
you know, a a stress within uh, the market and more uncertainty. And certainly, um, I think getting back to human psychology, we're not very good with uncertainty, as, as gen- generally speaking. I'm not a psychologist, but I, I, w- I would make the comment, folks don't like um, uh, uncertainty. Folks don't like uncertainty, and they always over 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 respond to geopolitical risk. But but perhaps let's not. Uh, let's hand back to Joe for I think <laughs> we do. I'm literally I'm going to start bringing this towards the close, guys. I mean, I, I'm thinking there's been a huge amount written and said over the last few days on this whole topic. What's the most insightful comment, or perhaps kind of little pearl of wisdom that you've heard or read over the last um, few days that's worth sharing? Well, I suppose that for me, I, I suppose the first one is that stuff happens, um, and um, uh, you, you know, you know, I had no idea this was going to happen, but I knew something was going to happen, and something will inevitably happen in six months or a year, and and in three years. So, as you said, you need to, you know, and David was saying, you need to sort of have thought about not the specific event. Um, but but the sort of you know environment if things start to go wrong, uh, what you're going to do about it and how you compare about it. And the one thing I reminded myself this morning is that policy changes and policy response. And so if things get nastier, we would expect a big policy response. Uh, and if things don't get nastier, then we won't. But policy does respond, um, mm-hmm. and so we're not at a point of maximum gloom or, or, or you know or you know or, or, or close to it. But if we did get in that situation in three months, six months, whenever it might be, uh, we should expect a big policy response. And David? Yeah, I think my, my overall comment, you know, there's somebody been pearls of wisdom, you, you, you know, <laughs> you read out and you hear on, 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 on TV by a variety of different pundits and financial experts and former Fed governors and, and things like that. I mean, certainly, I think we, you know, sort of need to be aspirational and think about, well, how do we deal with these types of events going forward? And, and Joe really gets back down to what you said about governance and 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 planning and thinking through these things and trying to mitigate uh, as many and and really think about the various scenarios. To Rupert's point, you'll never know what those those are and what the effects are. Back to the the pandemic prediction, um, you can't predict these things, but at least going through the process and doing that at least once or twice uh, and annually, just to think through the what ifs, I think is is the biggest takeaway for me is the what ifs and and to sit down uh, in your in your various organizations and really spend some real time, not over a one hour zoom call, but really spend, you know, some really good time, which gets back to governance about what ifs and what that what those implications could be uh, on your on your portfolios and frankly, on your businesses. Guys, that's great. And listen, thanks for joining me today. I've enjoyed it. I hope that our listeners have done as well. And just on that point, if you do like what you've heard today, make sure that you subscribe um, to the series. Um, And if you'd like to discuss anything that we've talked about in the podcast, then you can reach out to your local Mercer representative, or indeed you can email us at ctci at mercer.com. Thanks for listening.